there to all of you wonderful people out there in the podcast universe. A very happy and healthy Halloween to you on this fun and festive holiday. Unless you're listening to this on not Tuesday, then just a happy and healthy day all around. Welcome into the ninth episode of the Get Around Podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Queeley, and as always, alongside me are my compadres at the Traverse City Record Eagle Sports Desk, James Cook and Brett Summers. This week, however... We are also joined by the uh, authority on sports at 7 and 4, the one and the only Harrison Beebe. Uh, round of applause, anyone? No? All right. I just uh, want to be a compadre as well. That's you okay. are you are a compadre, just not a Traverse si, City si, Record sports desk compadre. Honorary. Uh, so Harrison is here to help us traverse the mountain uh, of goings-on in the prep sports world around northern Michigan. How are we doing this fine day, gentlemen? Good. Great. Fantastic. Good. good to be talking football. Still have to be determined. Still to be determined. You're not, the day's not going so well so far? busy at an appointment. Yeah, it's all right. Good to hear, gentlemen. Uh, Harrison, you requested 20 minutes to talk about the Detroit Pistons win over the previously undefeated L.A. Clippers, and then the Golden State Warriors. You have 20 seconds. Go. Uh, Pistons looking phenomenal. 1,000. Deep team. 1, a lot of great players. Uh, 10 deep on Stan Van Gundy's bench. And you took down the previously unbeaten Clippers. And I know the Golden State Warriors don't care about the regular season as much as they did two years ago. But if they beat the Lakers and get a 3-0 West Coast trip, that's a great start to the season, Pistons Five, fans. 5-4. And then 5-3. Three. Three. Best three record in the two. Eastern Conference. That's One. Right. Well, well done, Harrison. Good job. That was a fantastic take on the... Playing great defense, too. On today's show, we are going to get into our over and under reactions on Buckley's run to the state soccer semis, the bevy of athletes, including all six Traverse City boys and girls cross-country teams making the state finals. We will, of course, induct another athlete into the Get Around Hall of Fame, and we'll have four candidates up this time with Harrison here. But I think we all know Buckley's brick wall is getting the call on that one, so pretty much no doubt. Um, as we do every week, we will end the show on a high note with our trifecta. This, this week's category is Best Sports Movie Villain, and I swear to God, if James, you bring up Miracle, Brett, you bring up Any Given Sunday, or Harrison brings up Mighty Ducks, I'm quitting right here on the air. Can I change my pick? Yeah? Who is the villain from Any Given Sunday? <laughs> Who's that? Oh. Before we get into all of that, let's check the heartbeat of the sports world as we put our finger on the pulse. Uh, just like it was last week, the biggest thing going on right now is prep football as we move into the district championship bouts this week. The most talked about game in Traverse City is, of course, the rematch of Traverse City Central versus Traverse City West in round two of the battle for TC. Now, we've already talked about Central's and West's pre-district wins on the October 28th episode of the Get Around After Dark, so make sure you listen to that. We also hit on Frankfurt's huge win, Glen Lake's huge upset, and Central Lake moving to 10-0, so again, check that one out if you want some rapid reactions for myself, James, and from Brett. Uh, we didn't, however, get a chance to talk about Traverse City St. Francis's win because they were on Saturday and we recorded the After Dark at 1.30 in the morning on Saturday. Uh, so, James, you did peek into the future on that one and predict a Gladiators win over the Copper Kings of Calumet. Did you see anything you didn't expect from St. Francis, or was it the same old Glads you've seen all season? Uh, it, it was kind of the same old Glads as far as, you know, the running game. Uh, they just, you know, loaded up, ran right at Calumet, and I think for the game averaged over six yards of carry or something. Uh, they held Calumet to 44 yards of total offense for the entire game, 41 of which came in the first half. Um, Calumet's only score came when they blocked a punt on St. Francis' first possession and ended up with the ball at the four. Uh, basically the only problem that St. Francis had was penalties. 
Uh, they got flagged 10 times officially in the stats. I think it may have been one or two more than that. Um, something that got declined or something. But, uh, you know, so that was a problem that uh, after the game, Josh Sellers was pretty adamant about that we got to fix. And every player I talked to, you know, said that that's something we have to fix. We can't do that against Glen Lake and, uh, and expect to have a good outcome. But, uh, I mean, it was it was pretty dominant. It was more dominant than a than a twenty eight to six score indicates. Um, I mean, uh, had they had they not committed a few penalties that stalled a few drives, you're looking at probably a game that's got a running clock in the second half. Harrison, you were at Thurlby for St. Francis as well. What did you see? Uh, I caught the early parts of the second half, so it was twenty to six at that point. Um, and even though I'd followed uh, your blog about it, saying Calumet had scored first, I was interested to see that uh, St. Francis had kind of turned things around, got a few scores in. But uh, the early points of the second half, it was kind of slow and plodding. I was with Brett on the sideline here, and we're kind of looking for some <laughs> good images to capture for our audiences. And uh, it really, and they got down near the goal line in there, and they had that huge fumble that could have kind of changed momentum of the game a little, at least for Calumet's sake. But uh, eventually, you know, whether it was the rain, you know scaring away Calumet or encouraging St. Francis just finishes up for their, their fans to get home. Uh, St. Francis turned it on in the second half when they needed to and uh, really put a solid start on the playoffs. I'm sure they would have liked to have played a little better, but uh, you know, a win's a win, and they got four more to go until they get their ultimate goal. Yeah, it wasn't an exciting playoff game by any means, and uh, St. Francis would admit that they certainly could have played better. Um, Harrison alluded to the fumble that they had inside the five that would have uh, extended an advantage. Um, that was definitely a big miscue that they will not be able to afford moving on in the postseason. Um, it just was a, a very much grinded out game. The uh, it, it was a difficult, as my focus was just behind the lens on Saturday, a little different than normal. It was a difficult game to shoot in just the fact that it seemed like every play was a dive up the middle. And so when you've got a just a flurry of bodies throwing each other um, at one another, it uh, it doesn't always translate to a terribly uh, beautiful image, but managed to get a few out of that game. Oh, you, you took some good pictures, definitely. But, yeah, when it's just a run up the gut and, you know, you've got a mass of people, there's not that kind of clarity of a good image. And I speak on this subject as a pretty terrible photographer who has taken photos in the past but really has relied on others to do it for me, which is one of the reasons why I haven't bought a camera, because if I buy a camera, then I have no excuse to be poor at mm -hmm. taking photos. So I, I think, you know, I've just been playing the, oh, I don't have enough money, which is true. I don't have enough money to get a, a camera, but... Cameras are expensive. Cameras I mean, are expensive. If and you're going to invest in that, you better shoot some senior pictures on the side or something. The, yeah, or some weddings. So, But I like to drink at weddings, and <laughs> I don't think they allow the photographer to drink. So Depends they on the wedding. Yeah. Get that written in the contract. That I get to get plastered at your wedding while trying to take photos. Yeah, he's stumbling uh, down drunk. A little bit of a clause in there. Maybe it that adds says, a new angle. That says, you know, if the photos decrease in quality as the evening goes on, it's yeah. to be understood. Just the blame it on the whiskey. And reduce the price. Right. Yeah, <laughs> give them a discount. Say, yeah. all right, it's either three grand for the day and I stay sober, or 200 and you pay for my booze. So, I like mm -hmm. it. All right, uh, St. Francis and uh, Glen Lake are going to meet up in Division Six for a rematch of Week Two's contest, in which the Gladiators won 35 to nine. Last week, I said that the Lakers had a really good chance to upset the then undefeated Boyne City Ramblers, and I was right. So I was pretty happy about that. I'm not right very often, but I was right about that, so I was I was pretty happy. Uh, does Glen Lake have the same potential to upset St. Francis as they did against uh, Boyne City? Yes, 
Um, ever since the second half against Frankfurt, uh, when Glen Lake came back uh, from a double-digit deficit in that one, their defense has continued to improve. Their offense has continued to put up numbers. And over the course of the last three or four years, the Lakers have had their opportunities against St. Francis, and they haven't been able to punch through yet. And uh, I know that they want this game. They want that matchup and have no intention of losing at Thurlby on Saturday. Whether that's how it plays out, we'll, we'll see. But um, I don't think anybody wants that matchup more than Glen Lake. Can we overstate the importance of Glen Lake's experience last year? I know we talked about this on last week's show, about their about their experience from last season through the playoffs and to Ford Field and the state championship game. Can we overstate that and, and what they've done and how important that is to a game against St. Francis? Well, that was part of their run last year is they won three straight road games to get to Ford Field. I believe they started off the playoffs at home, and then they went to Houghton Lake. Was it Houghton Lake or Ross They went Common? to Calumet. Calumet. Well, that was the regional, yeah. but in the second round, they went to Houghton Lake or Ross Common. And Blanks from the one, then Calumet for the regional, then that snow game at Thurlby, which, which counted as a road freezing. game or not. Um, but it was away from home. And so they really, you know, as an underseed, they, they won all those games and made it that far in the playoffs. And I realize a lot of those guys are gone from a year ago. But, uh, you know, Jerry Andrews and his staff probably picked up a lot in that playoff run that they've used this season now in, in adverse situations. And you can't say enough about what Kate Peterson does with this team. I mean, James and I were at that game on Friday night, and they took that game away in, in moments. That first play they had from the snap, Kay ran up the middle for the 50, 60 yards. 51 yard touchdown. And they didn't score their second one again until the second half uh, and then go up 21 nothing and a half. But you could just tell early on, like, they weren't going to be pushed over. And, and Boyne really couldn't do much to stop it. And this is a Boyne team who the week before did what a lot of people, you know, were waiting to see happen. That was beat St. Francis. So obviously, you don't want to overlay these, these upsets. Oh, this team beat this team, so they're going to beat this team. But, um,. If Glen Lake's that much better than they were in week two, uh, I'd get ready for some fireworks on Saturday. You know, TC St. Francis, the players I talked to, they said that, you know, they want to shut down Cade Peterson again, and that was what they did in the first time when they played them. But I just don't know how much you can rely upon that because in a, a whole bunch of other games, aside from that one St. Francis game, when you shut down Cade Peterson's passing game, he just runs the ball. Um, and, and that's what he did last week against Boyne. Um, I mean, his passing was not great. I think he was four for... 13 or something, I mean, which is not, a, I mean, he had a couple drops in there. but That's uncommon, though. Yeah, that's uncommon. But even when you do that, he then he like he, he broke a 51-yard run on the first play. He scored another rushing touchdown later. I want to bring up the story that you told me on Saturday morning, but you, we didn't actually talk about it on After Dark. Uh, tell me a little bit about Nick Apsey and his a little bit of showboating that he did on a, on a touchdown run. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I think it was the second touchdown. Were you were there for he that one? The reception in the second touchdown. Yeah, the long reception where Apsey just got totally behind the defense. Cade uh, Peterson yeah. put it right, at, right in his hands and he hit it in stride. So he just kept going and nobody was going to catch him. He was like 10 yards ahead of everybody. And, and, and about the 10 yard line, he started, 10 or 15 yard line, he started to kind of showboat a little bit. Was he doing like the Deion Sanders? He wasn't quite high-stepping, but he was kind of looking backwards and, and holding the ball him in front of him, I think. A little bit, yeah. You know? Um, so not, like, taunting him by holding the ball behind him and everything like that. But, it, like, almost immediately when he sees this, Jerry Andrews starts sprinting down the sideline yelling, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. Because <laughs> he thinks they're going to get called for a, a taunting penalty. They didn't. Amazingly, I, I was kind of surprised. Uh, one of the referees came up to Tim Peterson, the offensive coordinator, and, and Tim Peterson like immediately was saying, "He's going to get yelled at." 
we'll take care of it on our, on our, on our end. Don't worry about it. We're going to let him know that he can never do that again. So I think yeah. you said that Andrew's hat flew off, too, when he was running down there. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then they were wearing these like bright yellow hats, so it was almost like the color of a flag. And when he was running down the sideline, the hat came flying off and went onto the field. And the, the referees were kind of looking at that kind of funny, too, because all the referees saw this yellow thing on the field and thought that somebody else had thrown a flag. So I don't know if maybe they thought one of the other ones had thrown the taunting penalty, and that's why they didn't do it. But, uh, but that, <laughs> that was funny. And then I also heard Jerry on the sideline say, you know, if that happens again, you're not playing the rest of the game <laughs> or, or something like that. Uh, it was just a pretty funny thing all around. Yeah, it, I mean, Apsy's so talented, but I, I know that Andrews has had his issues with him in the past. But, uh, he, yeah, Apsy is a, a talented kid and certainly has uh, contributed a lot this season. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that's slightly uncomfortable right now, especially for us in the local sports world, because no one likes to uh, take one side or the other. But let's go around and let's have some picks for this game. Uh, who we got, Glen Lake or St. Francis? Well, I was wrong the first time around, and uh, I thought Glen Lake was going to handle St. Francis um, easily. As did I. So do I go with my original choice and back it and double down? St. Francis would love that <laughs> because they're like, oh, Summers again. <laughs> you know. And then Glen Lake is like, oh, man, Summers picked us again. But uh, you know what? Um, I think I'm going to flip on this one. Because I, part of the reason I made that choice early in the season was I was not high on St. Francis. I thought they were going to have a down year, and that did not happen, and they've proved a lot to me. So um, I'm going to go with St. Francis in this one, like a 27-24 type game. That, that's what I'm thinking. I'm, uh, you know, I don't want to copy my man Brett, but I'm also going to say it, it's it looking like it could be a St. Francis victory. It may be last week if the Glads had had a comfortable first-round win, even with Glen Lake winning and, and setting up this rematch, that uh, I'm sure both teams are very interested and eager to see what goes down. I think that you know the, the mistakes that St. Francis made, it's not just an easy going to week two like it might have been in years past in the playoffs. They know they didn't command and dominate that Calumet game like they probably wanted to. So I'm kind of thinking Josh Sellers and company, They this week's practice is... It's going to be pretty interesting to see how the, those stars align. And uh, I'm, I'm going to predict the St. Francis win. would not be surprised for a Glen Lake win at all. And uh, and that's kind of what they want to do, just like last year. They probably want to pull off those upsets on the road. But uh, until I see it happen, I, I will go St. Francis in a one-touchdown game. I'm going to go against the grain. and just There's there's so many factors, I think, that are uh, in Glen Lake's favor in this. I mean, St. Francis obviously is a great team. If, if they win, like, like you guys said, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, or anything, but uh, Danny Passano made a huge difference in that first game. He's not going to play in this game. Uh, Aaron Simon got hurt against Calumet, uh, sprained an ankle. He may be back. If he is, he's probably not going to be 100%. Um, the rest of the running backs still look pretty good uh, at, at coming in there. I mean, they use guys like Keaton Peck and George Mackey and, and getting some of those other guys that don't get a lot of carries in there, and they were effective. But, you know, they committed penalties. They committed a lot of penalties. they got to fix that. Uh, they had a slow start once again, which has been their – Achilles heel, kind of like TC Central has that tendency to do. On a block punt that Calumet did not call for, by the way, you, you told me. Yeah, yeah. Calumet was just playing standard defense. They, uh, For some reason, I don't know why, but Calumet had called the standard defense on 4th and 19, thinking maybe that St. Francis was going to call a fake from its own 30. <laughs> but... And they were so they ran a standard defense. So their their big two hundred and fifty pound defensive end was still in the game. He wouldn't be there on a punt block. The coach told me afterwards, uh, and then he just crashed through. 
and and got that kick. Um, you know, but then you got Glen Lake has all the momentum. They've got all that experience of winning those road games on the last year. Uh, you know, beating Boyne City is a huge confidence booster for them, and I think their defense is incredibly different from the from week two, I believe it was, when they played St. Francis the first time to. To now, um, you know they had, they they have like three, four sophomore starters on that defense, and Josh Sellers was saying, you know, those sophomores aren't sophomores anymore, you know, they're playing like juniors, seniors, um, and that's true. I mean, against Boyne City, all those sophomores had good games and just helped shut down the Ramblers. All right, well, I want people to understand that we are not picking against a team. We're picking for a team, but I'm going to make my predictions a little bit different than what you guys have. I'm going to go with Glenn Francis in this one and see how they do. I was thinking about St. Lake, but Glenn Francis is going to be, I mean, Glenn Francis versus St. Lake. It's going to be It's going to be pretty interesting the to la- see. The Lakeiators. Yes, the Lakeiators. That's what I'm going with. Or, yeah, so Glenn Francis taking this one, no so doubt. you're wussing out is what you're yes, telling us. Yes, I am absolutely wussing out because I don't actually... I, I don't know who's going to win this game. I think it's that close. Um, but, yeah, as I said, Glenn, Fra- Glenn Francis. For the, for the record, St. Francis requested that we select, that we uh, pick Glenn Lake. Did they? They said, please pick Glenn Lake. So, because, so Brett and I won't be Because we all did last time, and then they No, you they picked St. Francis last time. Did I? So, yeah, we both, we, uh, Summers and I both picked. Uh, you, were, you were the lone correct prediction. Okay. I just, Don't I guess, judge and, and now you have a chance to do it again. I guess I just assumed that I was wrong all the time. Week two picks are hard to make, guys. Having said that, week eleven picks probably a little more pressure on you to get it right. Yeah, people aren't going to like my pick. I understand that. What happened to dealing with un- the uncomfortableness of making? Yeah, that was a your choice. intro, right? And then you, you left guys us can do that. Oh, I. You're different than us. I am. Is that what you're saying? Yes, Glenn Francis. All right, uh, we are going to take a deep dive into some West and Central here in just a bit. But before that, I want us to take some time and hit the other big playoff games in the area. We'll start with the 10-0 Snowbirds of Gaylord St. Mary taking on the Panthers of Frankfurt. Brett, you went and covered Frankfurt's dominating victory against Newberry. What are people going to be treated to when they watch this game? Griffin Kelly. Period. Um, Yeah, he is where uh, the offense um, starts with the Panthers and... Aside from a few passes from Kirk, My- Kirk Myers sprinkled in to Matt Loney or perhaps a screen, he is where their offense ends. And Frankfurt doesn't have a problem with that. Uh, Kelly is a special kid, you know, one of the best players in northern Michigan by far, returning All-Stater from last year. The way he shredded Newberry last week at home, um, I mean, you, you really saw uh, how special he is. 22 carries, 257, I think, four scores, and then he scored another one. On a receiving touchdown, um, but uh, that will be the focus for Gaylord St. Mary. If they can't stop Griffin Kelly, their undefeated season will come to an end on, at home now, on, Ke- on Friday. Now, Kelly doesn't get usually 22 carries a game. We've looked at it. James, I think you put his average carries around 12, right? 13 and a half in the regular 13. season. 13 and a half in the regular yeah. season. So he got 22 uh, in that game against Newberry. Does he have the conditioning to pick up 22 to maybe 30 carries in a game? I think he'll be ready for it. Um, he uh, he just strikes me as you know the one of those guys with the mindset of you know you can't overfeed him the ball and 
he might be tired after the game, but he'll be fine uh, while the clock is still ticking. But Coach Matt Stapleton kind of joked about it after the game uh, on Friday against Newberry and how um, you know he's not used to playing after halftime. So getting him those carries in the third quarter, they they've got to get him into shape so that he's ready to go for this stretch run. But uh, it uh, I I don't I don't foresee any problem there. He's he seems to run just as hard late uh, late in the game as he does early on. So. When he was a freshman, um, they they thought about bringing him up to the varsity, but they had a pretty good running back back then, in Cole Hollenbeck, and uh, they thought about putting him on the varsity. But then Stapleton was like, "Well, do we bring him up on the varsity and give him five or six carries a game, or do we keep him on the JV team and feed him the ball thirty times a game?" And they fed him the ball like thirty times a game on the JV JV team, and he just put up huge numbers and everything. So he's done that before. Right. You guys want to talk about video game numbers. That's what I basically described Griffin Kelly as having last year when I did a feature on him. But this year's video game numbers guy, if you were to have a Madden NFL cover player, you might put Cal Gilling on there because he's been a huge part of the Snowbirds 10-0 season. Exceeded 2,000 yards in 10 games the other day uh, in their playoff victory over Munising. And, and there's another guy in that backfield that runs a lot too, Alex Cherry. So it's not get, like Gilling's having all the carries on that roster and he's still doing big things every time he gets the ball. So so that is the main reason this running back versus running back matchup that I'm really upset that I'm probably not going to be in attendance for this game because if you like old school smash mouth run the football, this this is your contest to watch this weekend. Not Central West, not Fra- uh, St. Francis Glen Lake. It's Gaylord St. Mary Frankfurt. Uh, it should be a doozy of one that uh, is right there buried underneath some of those other big games. Now, Gaylord St. Mary isn't the biggest school, and we've seen a lot of teams uh, lately kind of in that position drop down to eight-man. Gaylord St. Mary, the Snowbirds, are still sitting there at 11-man. Is it surprising that they are 10-0 and and they have the staff to create uh, an undefeated team? Uh, you know, they kind of, when I did the season preview, the guys told me that they had a feeling this team was going to be coming around for a while. They've had some good basketball seasons in recent years. Their baseball team's a proverbial powerhouse over there in the, in the Ski Valley Conference, and a lot of those guys are three-sport athletes, so they're very athletic, and uh, they kind of had a feeling throughout the years that this year in the football season was going to be something special. And sure enough, whether you want to say, you know, the NMFL legacy division isn't as tough as the others, and maybe that is or isn't true, but uh, they knew their assignments at the beginning of the year, get through that schedule. They got through it. They finally ended the St. Fran- uh, St. Ignis uh, losing streak, and they've got their first playoff win. They didn't get a playoff win a year ago. So, And they've got one more home game at least, and if they win, they'll have one more home game next week. So these guys know everything they want to accomplish is right there in front of them. they just got to take it. All right, moving on to eight-man football. We've got a few teams left, including a matchup between Central Lake and Sutton's Bay. The Trojans continue to pound their opponents, and head coach Rob Heakey said his players are just having a blast right now. They're just out there having fun on the football field. So does Sutton's Bay stand a chance against 10-0 Central Lake? Crickets. Uh, a small one. Um, you know, Sutton's Bay is really going to have to play its best game of the season to even keep it close. Um, I Better d- than its best game of the season, honestly. Well, but I'm, I'm not sure that they've played their best game of the season. They, they've played well at times and done what, you know, they did what they needed to do to get, get into the playoffs, uh, but I don't know that they've played that best game. Um, Central Lake has been outstanding, and, uh, you know, I go back to something that Coach Hickey said to me uh, when I visited uh, their camp in August. Um, it didn't, you know, I think I put it in the story, but it didn't really 
resonate a lot at that point because you know you've got a team that just switched coming off a terrible season last year and it just sort of maybe seemed like the thing to say uh but they had a lot of guys who played last year that didn't come back and not because they graduated but because they had enough of the losing and they weren't interested in playing anymore and um you know coach Hickey said we've got 14 guys here that absolutely want to play and like I said, it seems like maybe that's just something you say at that time of the year, but the route that they've uh, or the season that they've had uh, going ten and zero to this point, I think that illustrates just how bad these kids wanted it and how uh, they were not um, okay with how last season went, and that they had big plans uh, in what they could do before their high school careers ended. And uh, it's just it's really impressive, and they and they really seem like a team that. Um, you know, they, they are in control of themselves and they don't let anything on the outside affect how they play. And they've got three dynamic players. I mean, more than three, actually. But if you look at QB Gavin Mortensen, who is a threat, you know, not really through the air, but certainly on the ground, they passed this past week. They went two for two for four yards, but one of those was for a touchdown. I think they racked up close to like 500 rushing yards or something like that. Along with Mortensen, you have Skylar Spangler, who is a workhorse for the Trojans, usually racking up 25 to 30 carries every game and getting his yards you know, somewhere between 190 and, and 215. And then you have the big fella in Grand Papineau, who is uh, he's just a beast. The fa- you know, what he loves to do is to get the ball and then run over people because he's just that big. He's also a very smart, he's a, an insightful kid. I, I talked to him after their win against Onekama, and he was, you know, it wasn't that standard interview that you might get with a high school kid who's like, hey, we're, you know, we're happy to get this win. Everything feels great. It's a huge confidence booster. It was more, it was a little more into the game than that and saying how important it was coming in against Onekama to get that win and what that would mean for the rest of the program, uh, for the program and then for the rest of the season. So he was, he was a pleasure to talk to for sure. Yeah, the one thing I want to follow up, I was in attendance for both these teams' opening playoff games, and uh, yes, yeah, Central Lake is the favorite this Friday. There's there's no getting around that. Um, but what I noticed with Central Lake is I rolled in early in the third quarter, and they were only up a few touchdowns on Misik, and it seemed to me like Central Lake maybe should have been up by a few more, and, and Misik was playing them tough. They had a great drive, could have gotten within a touchdown late in the third quarter, and then Mortensen on defense pulled an interception, uh, interception on Ethan Humphreys, and then that kind of shifted momentum for Central Lake the rest of the way, and they ended up winning impressively two, three, four touchdowns. But I found it a little surprising that they were playing that close, and, it, and it's not a knock on Central Lake. It just might be a case that this is you know, territory they haven't been to before. Just like Gaylord St. Mary, they have home field throughout uh, – throughout next week if they make it that far to knocking on the door of a state championship game. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that, being the favorites and being at home uh, against teams that, as we go week by week, are going to be a little more impressive each and every week. Suns Bay had beaten Misik a few weeks before. And for the Norsemen, they had lost earlier in the year to Wyoming Trinity Christian. And when I roll in, in the second half and it's 26-6 Suns Bay, I'm saying, well, obviously they're doing something a lot better than they did in the regular season. And uh, they continued to pile on a few more from there. So Sutton's Bay is looking hot, and Central Lake, you know, they'll be the favorite, but they've, they've got to put together another strong game to make sure they eliminate the Norsemen. The other eight-man contest has Onekama, whose only loss is to the aforementioned Central Lake Trojans. The Portagers have bounced back from that Week 8 loss with a 54-0 win against Baldwin and a 58-18 win against Bel Air in the pre-regional. 
Pickford is 10-0 and and has allowed uh, more than 20 points only once this season. I know we were going to be talking about West and Central here in a bit, and then we're going to be, you know, you mentioned uh, Harrison, uh, Frankfurt, and Gaylord St. Mary. But other than those two, is or even still, is this one of the most intriguing matchups of the postseason because you have a 9-1 and team taking on a 10-0 and team? I think you have um, a lot of intrigue there because Pickford's been ranked number one for several weeks now, and they were a state semifinalist a year ago in the A-player division. So the Panthers know what it's like to be in this situation. Anekma does as well in the 11-player playoffs. They did pretty well. Uh, won a few games the past few years, and so what the common theme this year has been they might have switched over a year early. It's not a knock on them. They, they want to switch to the A-player. They want to break off from Bear Lake. Uh, so now here they go. By losing that Central Lake game, they now have to go on the road instead of hosting a, a Round 2 playoff game, and they have to knock down the big boy in, in the Division 2 standings or in the in Division 2 bracket. I think they have the capability. To, we have the, you and I were there at the Central Lake Onekama game, Brendan, and uh, Onekama's just got as many athletes as, as Central Lake does, so they're more than capable of pulling that upset. I wonder how the long road trip. Now, it is a Saturday game, so that's a little easier than going up on a Friday. I guess maybe a few more fans can make that trip. I'm curious to see how they do against a Pickford team that's a little more used to these surroundings, being in the eight-player game, making it all the way to the semifinals a year ago. But the Pickford thing you got to look out for is they're in the Bridge Alliance Conference. There's a lot of good teams in the Bridge Alliance, but from what I've been hearing, you, you wonder, are the elite teams in the Bridge Alliance as impressive as a Central Lake or an Onekama? And the great thing is we're going to find that out Saturday when these two meet. I, uh, I had the chance to speak with Onekama head coach John Neff on Saturday. Uh, he helped us out with our NFL uh, picks. And, uh, you know, he was talking about... How did we do in that, by the way? I'm doing well. Okay, did I go 1-12 again? No, you're doing much better, Brendan. Okay, um, You're right around 500. Uh, but, you know, John said that Onekama was trying to do all they could in one to, to battle that long road trip that Harrison just mentioned. Uh, they, were, they were trying to line up a coach bus... Uh, to take, not just your standard school bus, try to keep it a little more loose and comfortable. Um, but then as far as the game itself, uh, you know, we were talking, and this is a, a huge opportunity for, for Onekama to look at it that way. You know, you have you have a chance to go uh, on the road in the second round and prove how good you are and knock off uh, the top team in eight, eight-man football uh, in the state. And, um, you know, if you do that, it really one kind of opens up your road a little bit to a deeper run and two I mean it would give all the confidence in the world uh, to your guys that despite that loss to Central Lake there isn't anybody in that field that you can't beat. Moving on to that mammoth matchup between Crosstown rivals Traverse City Central and Traverse City West the Trojans have steadily improved throughout the season and the Titans have bounced back from that Week 9 loss to Coldwater, making it to Friday's Division II District Championship game. West is trying to back up its 29-27 win in Week 3's TC Patriot game and get some revenge for last year's 13-12 loss to the Trojans in the first round of the playoffs. Now, I want to start with West and get into what has made them so successful this season. The running game is obvious. They've rushed for more than 3,000 yards in the 10 games. So simple math tells you right there that, that the Titans are averaging around 300 yards on the ground per game. Their defense has also been pretty stout, allowing just 13 points in their nine wins. That doesn't count the 24-9 to nine loss to Coldwater. But I think one Titan has been slightly overlooked this season. We've talked about Ryan Hayes, Eric Levante, Andrew Campbell, John Jerkovich, Jacob Pulaski, and several other contributors to West's success. We've talked about this guy a few times, but I don't think... 
junior quarterback Sam DeKuyper is getting the love that he deserves. I mean, I know he's not as flashy as Kate Peterson or as prolific as Grayling's Justin Nicholas or even as versatile as Central's Tobin Schwanke, but he is exactly what the Titans need, and that's an effective game manager. You know, a game manager is a quarterback that allows his offense, you know, his offensive weapons to work around him and then carry the load while making timely passes and not turning the ball over. So that last one is the most important. Uh, you know, a game manager needs to keep his offense on the field. Uh, he is completing around 55% of his passes, has thrown for more than 900 yards with 12 touchdowns. We've seen him have those games where he's gone 6-for-6 six six or 7-for-7 seven for 140-plus seven for yards and a couple of touchdowns, and that's what a game manager has to do. But here is the biggest number I'm going to give you guys. He has thrown only one interception this entire season, and that's in 93 attempts. I know that's not a lot of attempts. Uh, Justin Nicholas had 93 in two-and-a-half games. So I think he had 78 in one. 70, Se- 72, 72 on his big 600-yard night. Okay. Uh, All right. But, yeah. So – I mean, there are such major swings of momentum in a game, and especially in a playoff game, interceptions can turn the game on its head and throw that momentum behind whatever team it is. So I think if DeKuyper can continue that, you know, having that type of play in the passing game and the Titans get those 300 yards on the ground, they can they could win the program's first district title. Yeah, I mean, when you when you started talking about players that were overlooked, I thought the guy that you were going to go with was Odin Sopardini on the defense. Him as well, but he has also been great as a running back who can come in and will just pound it in at the goal line. He's been he has been fantastic, and you're right. I probably should have mentioned uh, uh, Odin. Definitely, he's been great this year. No, I think that's a good point, Brendan, about DeKuyper. Uh, he has done exactly what Tim Moore and the the Titans have needed him to do this season. Um, and my guess would be that there will come a time in this game on Friday that he needs to do that again because I don't think this is going to be as simple of a game plan as Wes just being able to hand it off first down, second down, third down, and move the chains up and down the field all night. The, I expect the score to be close throughout the, throughout the game. I mean, I'm hoping we get a few lead changes in there that it kind of goes back and forth. But uh, I think there will be that moment uh, in the game, uh, perhaps with it on the line, where running the ball is not going to be the answer that it has been all season for West, and DeKuyper is going to need to do something through the air. And uh, whether he's successful or not might just determine the outcome. How big of a factor is Bowen Bruner going to be on Ryan Hayes? I'm assuming that's going to be the defensive-offensive matchup there. Well, you can bet uh, in film study this week, I would I would think, uh, Coach Tim Moore is going to be circling uh, Bowen Bruner on just about every goal line play because he's only got 21 catches from the tight end position this year and 10 of them have gone for touchdowns. So that just that speaks to the trust that quarterback Tobin Schwanke has in him in those situations and also uh, to his level of talent in being able to be in the right place at the right time and make those critical catches. And, I mean, he's a big kid. That you, he, not six, Ryan, six, I think. Not I mean, Ryan Hayes big. Not, not quite that. Not Ryan Hayes big. But you're going to be hard-pressed to find a linebacker, a defensive back for West that's going to be able to match up with him one-on-one. Uh, and you know, out jump him or out play him for the ball. So that it, definitely a kid that uh, West is going to be watching. Yeah, and uh, I, the thing that stands out with me and Bruner, uh, I didn't stay for the entire game the first time around, but uh, I think he dro- he dropped a two point conversion catch that would have tied the game. 
if I'm remembering correct. He yeah, he had corner. it in his hands, uh, but uh, one of the I can't remember who it was. I believe Defensive it was play. I believe yeah. it was Chase Childers who ripped the ball out of his hand. I was standing right there when mm-hmm. it happened. I believe it was Chase Childers who ripped the ball out of Bruner's hand to uh, stop the two point conversion, which yeah, at We're, that time would have tied the game. There's plenty of time left to play. Yeah, but I think at that time it would have tied the game at twenty twenty. It would have been, was it, yeah, it would have 22, been, 22. It would have been 22, 22 at that point. And, and that was when I left, and that was, you know, that. that well, we know the just, final was 29, 27, so those two points were critical. Exactly. Slice it. Yeah. yeah. And that's so, you know, it probably is a little thing. I mean, maybe he's not thinking about it at all, but that's the memory I have because that's when I left that game to head back to the office and start working on our football show. But I remember that catch thinking, ooh, you know, I hope for Central sake that doesn't end up being the, the one that cost him in the end, and maybe it was. And so I'm wondering, you know, all these weeks later, uh, how much more that motivates Bruner to come into this Friday's game. Is this another one- or two-point game, the difference here? Yes. I. You know, we... The last couple of years, we talk about, well, what's the score going to be? And our predictions in terms of cumulative numbers have often been off. But as far as how close it is, it seems like there's little reason to think it will be anything more than a field goal deciding this game because every single matchup comes down to the wire. And uh, it's all it always less than a touchdown deciding it. So I, I don't expect anything less than that with hardware on the line. Well, I have a follow-up for you then, Brett, since you're the beat writer for the Trojans. Uh, you know, they've been notorious for having some slow starts to the season. I guarantee that doesn't happen, being the stakes in this game? Well, no, I'm not going to guarantee it. But, uh, I you know, if that happens, obviously not what uh, Coach Eric Sugars and the Trojans want. But if that happens, I also have no reason to believe they wouldn't climb back into that game at some point and still make it interesting. Um, obviously, all the pressure shifts uh, to Central if that were to happen. Uh, but just based on, you know, Granted, Cadillac is not Traverse City West in terms of talent, not even close. But when the play, the automatic playoff berth was on the line for Central in Week 9, they knew they had to take care of business, much like they will need to do on Friday. And they came out and did that after a rash of weeks where they came out and didn't do that. So um, I expect them to play well from the from the onset. And uh, I, I wouldn't anticipate them having to overcome a big hole, but which we know that they could, but they they could if need if needed. So, I mean, do you think that if uh, that Central is more inclined or better suited to if they get behind, come back in this game than if West was to? Yes, um, I. I Schwanicky has has shown himself, proven himself to be uh, a a passer. Uh, he he works well inside and outside the pocket. And then obviously his running ability. You know he's the he's the leading rusher for the Trojans this year. Um, so if they if one team were to fall behind, Central would be the better suited team to come back. Um, and that's because West hasn't been behind much this season. The two times that they were, they were down, I believe, 14-8, to eight, and that was in the T.C. Patriot game, and they come, they came back and they won that one. And then the only other time that I can remember that they were really down for an extended period of time was that game against Coldwater, and they fell apart. They just fell apart on the field and weren't able to come back and get that win. Uh, fortunately, that game didn't seem to mess up their psyche too much, but... Yeah, I don't know. West getting down early versus Central getting down early, those I think it's two different teams that will be coming out. 
Yeah, completely. Um, but again, I I don't expect that to happen. We know w- when they play the TC Patriot game how uh, both of these teams are so ready to go before you know before it gets started. And I mean, I I could be wrong. We'll see. The weather's probably going to be really cold on Friday, and nobody's going to want to leave their house. But uh, or the, th- this or is this box. is one that regardless of the temperature outside, you should probably get your butt over to Thurlby Field and plant it in the bleachers because it's not going to be one that you want to miss. And uh, I, I got to feel like this one um, is going to be crazy just in terms of how bad these guys want it. I know they want the TC Patriot game, and I know there's all the, the other stuff that plays into that, but to be playing your rival for a district championship we Some, said it right there. The stakes have never yeah, been this sta- high yes. for both. But West has never won a district title, and I was about to ask, when's the last time Central uh, had one? Was it when the two schools were together? Must have been. I'm thinking offhand. So this is the first time in history you'll get a team in the regional round as separate programs, and that's, I mean, as far as bragging rights, so cross-town bragging rights, besides just winning a one-on-one match, saying you got to a regional round in the playoffs, we know... And these two teams have won playoff games before, but then they usually kind of stub the toe in the second round game. But here they are against each other, chance so, to chance to make history and do it against the other school. Why not? One of them has to win, and one of them is going to make history. Do we want to make picks, guys? Crickets. <laughs> Nobody ever wants we're to gonna make. make picks. We're only going to make picks if you make the first one. Yeah, I can't even joke about this one. I think. Well, I did joke about it in in the first week when I said you're going to pick the Tritons. I'm no. I'm picking the teams. The swim team. The, the, the team. Thunder Squirrels. I'm going with the team whose mascot begins with a T and ends with an A N S. So that is my pick. I think you did that last. You weren't here last time. I did. You're horrible. I did. You're horrible. No, I don't know. I'm bad. You don't have to know. You just if you if you go one in twelve like you did in NFL picks, it's fine. You got to be better than picking the Jaguars. Put your foot down, Brendan. I am going to go ahead and since West is my beat, I'm going to be a homer and I'll pick West. I'm not picking West by a lot, but they show that they were able to get the job done in week three, and I know that Central is a vastly different team than they were then. But I still think that West gets the job done. I, I kind of agree on that. I mean, I, I'm I, making picks. I'm like and one here of those comes ones. The central win. No, I'm, I'm kind of like you know, the team that's favored. I'm like until the other team really takes it, I'm just gonna kind of get, roll with it's the a favorite. Safe way to play it. Yeah, um, you know. But I I think uh, you know, this game has been close for the what the last four or five games have been all decided by like. Two or three points. Yeah, I mean it's, it's just crazy. And that's uh, and it'll be another close game. I just uh, you know I like West and they they've been rolling this season, and you know, I, that's that's who I'm going to go with. I, I think guess. they learned a lot of mistakes in that loss in Week Nine. I think they learned that about a lot of things about themselves and that they're not world beaters, that they're not impervious to mistakes, and I think that was really helpful for them. Well, and as far as we keep talking about the close game, uh, yes, we all want a close game. We all want a thriller in the fourth quarter, maybe overtime, but the numbers don't lie. Eventually, some team's got to win one of these games by two or three touchdowns. That's going to happen eventually. Could it happen this Friday? Who knows, but... No, I don't think so. You don't think so, but it's got to happen again. I mean, it's, it's just the logic of just mathematics, the statistics. The law of probabilities is what yeah. I'm saying. Einstein didn't work so hard to just give us close games every every Friday night. Uh, yeah, he was working on the Manhattan Project. Maybe we should get him to work on the Traverse City Project. Project, too. Right? Yeah, get that trending. Is he, is he alive still? 
Probably not. No. We can <laughs> no. check on that further, though, All afterwards. Right, I'm, we'll not check predicting, his pulse. I'm not predicting a blowout nice. win for anybody on Friday. I, I am saying West is the favorite, and, and as James, until. And, and, and I picked Central the first time around. You guys had West. Brett, you were gone. So I picked Central the first time around. Uh, but yes, West definitely got the uh, the bragging rights in week three, and you know I, the, the comebacks for Central scare me. They're they're capable of pulling them off, but uh, I, I don't know if that's too much of a situation where West just kind of gets into a groove sooner or not. Now they're both at home, so you take that factor out of it. But uh, I'm gonna take West, and I hope for not a blowout. But I have a feeling if one team's capable of winning by two or three scores, it is the Titans. All right, I may be a little shortchanged here because I missed that initial game and I didn't get to see them play each other. Um, but I just and I don't I don't often like to make a pick just on a feeling, but I I just have a feeling like Central's going to win this game. Um, like we've talked this whole segment, close, less than a touchdown, um, but I think that. The versatility that you mentioned of Tobin Schwanke earlier, uh, his ability to run and throw could give West defense some problems. And uh, their defense has been playing much better of late. Uh, granted, you're comparing Week 9 versus Week 1, but uh, the common opponent of Midland, uh, Central may have shut that team out after I don't know what their scoring average was um, or excuse me, week 10, uh, last week in the opening round. I don't know what Midland's scoring average ended up to be, but it was pretty darn high, and they were sitting at zero points in the fourth quarter at home. And if not for uh, a late turnover by Central, they may have held them scoreless. Uh, Midland was able to punch it in, then kicked it onside, kicking, recovered, and scored a second time But in the closing minutes. But... Central really handled them from start to finish. I get West did that in, in week one, albeit by a bit different of a scoring margin, but um, I just it, it feels like uh, Central's kind of coming together at the right moment right now. Well, to wrap up this extremely long uh, The Pulse, which it has been, I'm actually going to go a step further. I'm going to say that uh, West kicker Ruben Martinez... Uh, makes a 47-yard field goal as time expires to win 20 to 17. So Does he get that may be the most specific prediction I've ever heard you make. So that's what I'm going with. Hey, I called Javi Baez as homer last year in the World Series, and I'm still living off of that. Fair enough. All right, all of us are going to be out this Friday and Saturday at a bevy of football games and about 100 other things going on, uh, and we'll get into Friday's action on Saturday's episode of the Get Around After Dark, but let's keep this episode rolling and talk some over and under reactions. First up is Buckley Soccer. The Bears, along with Joey Brickwall Weber, uh, won in the shootout against both, both number three Muskegon Western Michigan Christian and number two Leland to win the uh, program's first regional championship and move on to the state finals. Now, to reach the finals, Buckley has to beat number four Kalamazoo Hackett and then either number five Ann Arbor Greenhills or number 14 Genesee Christian in the title game. So, over or under reaction, Buckley wins a state soccer title. Harrison, going right to you. Hey, I was in attendance for both the regional games last week, just like you, and I won't shy away from it. I, I was curious to see how Buckley would play, but I know Leland had been there before, and uh, I know Western Michigan Christian had been there before. Uh, so to see Buckley pull both those wins, I was a little surprised, but the strategy worked. Play defense. Uh, Weber is a phenomenal goalie, 
and uh, they won both those games in shootouts. So depending on what kind of offense Kalamazoo Hackett has, none of us have seen Kalamazoo Hackett in person or on tape, so we don't really know necessarily what to expect. I'm sure the Bears do. Um, in, unless their offense is more than willing to put up, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 shots on Weber and, and really break down that defense, you might be heading to a, another shootout. In that case, why wouldn't you pick Buckley? So Yeah, that would be the strategy if I was head coach John Vermilia. I would pack in the defense and say, all right, try to beat Weber in a shootout. I would, you know, go to the play the 100 minutes. And, and he said that to us and in the let, post-game interviews. So. Let Weber save 50 60 shots. I mean, I don't know. Weber was put up the most incredible performance in a soccer game by a keeper I have ever seen, especially at the high school level against WMC. In terrible weather conditions. In awful weather conditions where it, the rain was You guys whipping. weren't cold at all, were you? It was awful. Not in the first 15 it minutes. Was, yeah, it was brutal. I'm so glad that I had my, my rain poncho on, even though I looked kind of ridiculous. I was, still glad, yeah. I was still glad that I was wearing it. Uh, but in those conditions, I mean, Weber even said after the game that he couldn't feel his hands. He couldn't feel his hands, yet somehow he stopped, uh, what, three of four shots in the shootout, allowing just that, that one goal against Western Michigan Christian. And Thursday's weather was slightly better. It was still cold. It was still windy. It wasn't wet, thankfully, but it, was, it, wasn't, no, it wasn't tropical or anything like that. And again, Weber stopped 15 shots, and he stopped three of four in the shootout once again. Yeah, you know, my thing on this is at some point, if you're Buckley, as great as the defense is, as phenomenal as Joey Weber is, I don't know that you can play 0-0 games two more times. I think there comes a point where you have to put one of your own in the net. So the, the question for me then becomes, is Ridge Beeman healthier or at least healthier than he was uh, in the regional Right, if you saw him, if anybody was there watching that game, Ridge is usually one of the most active players. We've seen him play on the basketball court. Uh, but he was, you could see he was dead tired, just straight up dead tired. And uh, head coach John Vermilia again told me that he has walking pneumonia, and then Ridge confirmed that. I talked to him about it after their uh, after the title game, the regional title game, and he said he's basically been hacking stuff up for the last three weeks. You want to hope that he's better going into the state semis, but walking pneumonia, that that doesn't just go away. You don't wake up one morning and go, oh, man, I'm, I feel so much better. So, Yeah, I mean, he's been all guts so far, and uh, that whole team has been all guts, you know, packing the defense in that way, not allowing any quality shots, and then obviously uh, Weber just being astounding between the posts. But... Um, to win a state title, I think you're going to need a little bit more than guts. And uh, if Ridge is feeling a little bit better or at least can somehow will himself uh, you know, to play beyond what he's dealing with right now, um, then I will not be surprised at all if Buckley brings home a state championship. Because he is their offense. He is. He is their offense. And uh, you know that would be maybe a little bit ironic, uh, you know, if this team made up of a core of the basketball guys who everyone knows their goal is to win a basketball championship, probably above all else, if they were to get the soccer one uh, down and out of the way before another run at, at the basketball finals. But, um, you know, they, they, uh, they certainly have the chemistry, the belief in one another that you need as well at this time of year to be able to do that. Um, 
I just they, they I think they're going to have to at least put one goal in the net uh, to be able to make this happen. I hope they do it. Um, I just think that mathematically, it's it, to play zero zero games like like Brett said, you're going to have to try to do that four times in a row against four teams ranked in the top Indeed. ten. Um, they've done. They're halfway yeah. there. Two, three, four, and five. Possibly they would have yeah. to be two, three, four, and five. Possibly to win a state title. And again, Vermilia, what's his favorite expression? He said it to they. They had to, Yeah, they had to beat Goliath, and now they have to beat all three of Goliath's little brothers. And Leland was the first one. Now they've got two more to go. And they ain't little. Those Goliaths. Those Goliathuses. Goliathi. Goliathi. Those Goliathi are not little. No, they're not. And and Vermilia was not trying to belittle anyone with that statement. It was, you know, more we know what's in front of us, we know what we've already done, and it's not going to get any easier. Heading into the weekend, we got some more state finals action as the Boys and Girls Cross Country Championships get rolling on Saturday. We had all six Traverse City boys and girls teams from Central West and St. Francis qualify with Central winning the girls regional and West at second and then the Central boys as the runner-up and West in third. The St. Francis girls straight up dominated with only 39 points and the Gladiator boys tied for second. So over or under reaction we see multiple state championships team or individual come back to Traverse City on Saturday. So just to be clear we're combining team and individual titles? So okay. So, yeah, if, say, C.L. Kearney wins a state title. And St. Francis girls won a state title. Yes. Okay. So that would be multiple. And the, the over-under was what? That there would be multiple. multiple. Oh, just that there would be multiple? No, yeah. not but I'm in. Not an overreaction at all. Is that an underreaction? All. It could be. It might be an underreaction. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a chance. You know, you could see, potentially, you could see Kearney and, and the Central girls team win as well as the St. Francis girls win. You know, the the odds of that probably aren't great, but they're probably as good as you could expect uh, heading to MIS. Uh, and Lisa Taylor... Uh, the, Who loves her team so much. She does. Like, she loves her team. You can tell talking to her on the phone. Even through text, the love comes through. But uh, she texted me on Saturday, and, you know, she said that in 24 years... That regional performance by Central's girls was the best that she's ever seen. Um, now, is that a little bit of hyperbole? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, well, and keep but mind, I think she believes that. Regional competition is not state finals competition, depending on how the regions shake out. It's very impressive to win regionals, but... That's you, right. You have, what, we've, we've, got our, we've got a resident state finals cross-country... state finals... ...runner in-house today. Uh, so he knows. In Harrison Beebe, he knows what it takes. Let's get his take. Yeah, it's. Uh, I've always liked the course at MIS. Spectators don't like it because you can only see about two parts of the race, the start and the finish. But I always liked having the race at MIS just because it has that big time, you know, main event feel to it. A great way to end the season. This like event. SummerSlam or WrestleMania. Exactly. I was gonna go right there with the wrestling references, but you were way ahead of me. Yes, I Thank was you. in the main event of the cross country state championships. Now, having said that, the best I finished I think was ninetieth my junior year, so yeah, never an all-state runner, but I did run there four years, fun course. I, 
I think we got a lot of talented teams up here. I did a feature on St. Francis a week ago. They won two times in a row now as a team, one with Holly Bolo, one without, and a lot of people were kind of wondering how they'd do without Holly. They won it again last year, so who's to say they can't do it again this year? I think they can. Coach Duffing, though, did stress that the Hart team they'd race against in D3 has been really impressive all year, and they kind of dominated their regional. They had a strong Benzie Central in it. So with St. Francis, we're going to have to wait and see, but they definitely want to shock us. I, I will go out on a limb. I've interviewed CL several times. She is one of the most talented female runners uh, probably in the history of the state. And she's right up here, so she's long overdue to get a station. She didn't win one last year, right? She did not. Yeah, so she's overdue for one. It's her senior year, right? So I, I'm going to easily say she wins one. Uh, and knowing yeah, I can Lisa almost t- guarantee that one. Yeah, you can. And knowing Lisa Taylor like I do, uh, the Lady Trojans won one about 10 years ago, so they're, they're in a bit of a drought. They could get another one for a team that's always top five ranked. Uh, so let's let's go on, all in on the black and gold. I can't remember what high school I went to, but I think Central's got a chance to bring home some cross-country <laughs> titles. Yeah, I mean, and you were talking about Lisa and t- saying that, you know, she thinks this is the best team, and, and she's not one of those coaches to say that all the time. So, I mean, that is, that is really saying something. I mean, there's some coaches, when you interview them, they're always talking about, like every year, this is the best team I've coached. This is the best team I've coached. And they say that over and over and over again all the time. But she she doesn't. Um, so, I, so I think when she says something like that, it does carry a little bit more weight um, that, that she really believes that this team is something special. And, and I could totally see them winning a title. I could totally see Sale Kearney winning a title. You know, St. Francis. I mean, you could have, you could have three easily. You can't ever count out Benzie. Um, you know, so we've got – we should have plenty of hardware coming home, I think, on Saturday. It's going to be interesting to see what is going to happen this week between volleyball, soccer, football, cross country, not to mention Saturday's Iceman competition. And so I think another thing without doubt is this week's inductee into the Get Around Hall of Fame. Even though he's a soccer player right now, it is appropriate to say that Joey Weber is a slam dunk considering the video floating around of him throwing it down with one, uh, with one hand. Um, so, yeah, hands down award this uh, for Athlete of the Week belongs to Joey Weber. The senior keeper for the Buckley Bears made 40 saves in 200 minutes of play against Western Michigan Christian and Leland in the regional semis and then finals. Uh, he also stopped one in-game penalty against Western Michigan Christian to keep the game scoreless at 0-0. The only goals he allowed were two in the shootout, but he stopped all of the other ones that he faced, and I think that was like an 80% save percentage and I talked to one of the officials and he says that the odds are actually totally in the other way with about it's a 90% chance that the kicker is going to score the goal so I mean Joey Weber totally flipped those numbers uh, on its head yeah I I also liked the the brick wall photo that was going around on Twitter that said uh, Joey Weber's new profile pic I thought that was great so the the shutouts were the 14th and 15th of the season and now it's time to send him to the Hall of Fame, but I want to hear from you guys who you're putting up as well. James, go ahead and give me some garbage for this because I know you're gonna. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with soccer as well. So I'm gonna put up. Uh, I'll put up Kobe Lund. I mean, he had what, four goals in the first half alone. Kobe, I still love you, buddy. And no, he doesn't. He, I, he, I do. He flipped on you already. I mean, he was all about you the other day, and 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 now he's all about Joey Weber. He did pull him aside after that loss in the regional and say, "Hey, Kobe, good season." I saw it. So they had a moment. They had a moment on the field. I did say that, yes. Did you tell him you were going to stab him in the back? Come on, man. <laughs> I think he whispered it under his breath. It's like four goals, Et but you brute. saw what Weber did, so, yeah. He did, and, he did see what Weber did, but then he had that penalty kick, and Weber stopped it. And Weber did stop Lund in that first, uh, on that first shootout try, so. But Cope still had a, he's had a great season. 
uh, and oh, had a had great great game against Ross Common uh, and, and a lot of other great games as well. So I just you know I thought he was somebody that we should put up again. I was a little a little disappointed that uh, Leland head coach Joe Berta didn't allow Cope to go out there in Tuesday's game and score two more goals to just end it at eight nothing. But we unfortunately had to sit through another 40 minutes of, of soccer with the game at 6 nothing. Joe just wanted to hand. see what you guys were made of. He knew he could handle it. He wanted to see what you guys were made of. But I feel so bad for his poor assistant coach who was constantly yelling throughout the entire game. I didn't want him to lose his voice. In those conditions. In those conditions, yes. Harrison, who are you putting up? Uh, I mentioned him earlier. Uh, I know he's kind of a little out of the record eagle uh, Time landscape, but maybe Gaylord St. Mary is you know in that in that circle. You guys definitely keep an eye on in the Snowbirds ten and zero season. As mentioned earlier, a big part of that was Cal Gilling. So I, it'd be a shame if he wasn't at least an honoree to be inducted, if not actually making an induction. If not this week, maybe in the weeks to come. Yeah, no, it's I, not this week. So. <laughs> yeah, but he's been impressive too in that he's you know he's been the offense. I mean they've gone through three or four quarterbacks this year. Mm-hmm. So they've had to give him the offense. The other team knows who's getting the ball, and they're still not be able to stop it. It's, like I said, Frankfurt's got a to-do on Saturday to stop him. And uh, I'm putting up Kelly. Second time I've nominated him this year. I believe that was week one that he got the nomination. Yeah, because I put up Kay Peterson. He did, and uh, and I know you feel pretty strongly about uh, Joey Weber that he's going to walk away with this one, and he probably will. But uh, Kelly deserves to be put up again after last uh, Friday's. Unless all of you guys turn on me and vote for somebody else, and I'm the only one voting for Weber, and then you are going to hear it from Buckley. I guarantee you, you'll be raked over the coals on Twitter. If it was what I truly believed, I'd be okay with that. I could handle it. But, uh, but yeah, Griffin definitely needs to be in this discussion. You know, we talked about the 22 carries, 257, and four rushing touchdowns. Those four rushing touchdowns, by the way, just those four carries alone totaled 121 yards on Friday. Kid is ridiculous. And then uh, had two catches for 40 yards, uh, including a 16-yard screen pass for a score. Uh, so, I mean, just ridiculous stuff. But, uh, you know, I didn't get to see – the in the rain performance uh, by Joey Weber. I did see the game against Leland, and um, I'm right there with you, Brendan. That he is the uh, easy choice for this week's athlete of the week. All right, so two zero right now in favor of Weber. Yeah, I'll go Weber too. The, the interesting thing about Kelly, I think he becomes our first three-time nominee now because I put him up one time How too. How has he not won a week yet? You've done well, this for nine be, weeks. At the very beginning, we were just up figuring, short. Yeah, we were just figuring, oh, well, he'll we'll, he'll get it sometime. Oh, okay. I mean, he's so good, he'll get it sometime. And the other time we put him up week. was the Justin Nicholas week. So uh, <laughs> that's right. So well, we he's got some motivation then to take it to the Snowbirds on. on is that what's on the line in this weekend's game? Is not a spot in the regional, but who's going to win? Who's going to win? Athlete of the week. Get around Hall of Fame. You're that, guys. That's what's that's what's at stake. All right, Harrison. It's already a, a, a formality, but who's your pick? It's, it's Joey. Yeah. All right. He's so four and zero for Mr. Weber. They were all worthy choices, but uh, yeah, Joey was just head and shoulders above them. Speaking of worthy choices, let's get to that trifecta. This week we are revealing our picks for best sports movie villain. Anybody want to go first on this one? I mean, Harrison, your pick pick actually has been in the news lately. He got arrested for a DUI and then tried to pull the whole I was in Happy Gilmore thing. So and Can't why, get more villainous than that. Right, and why would I had you, to hit the like, ball off Frankenstein's big fat foot, remember? That's what he should have said. But no, uh, Shooter McGavin, 
all day. Honorable mention to the guy who always wants to go to Red Lobster. He's kind of he's kind of a schemey sidekick. But uh, yeah, I didn't like that guy. Shooter McGavin is everything you, you love and hate about sports movies, and that's the beauty of a good villain is you need to love part of him. You you want to see him lose, but you need to love part of him. You can't just totally despise this guy. There's got to be something about him that you respect. And I think uh, anybody who's seen Happy Gilmore 200 times like myself, you respect uh, the greatness that Shooter McGavin provided, regardless of his off-the-set uh, legal troubles. What is it? Like, uh, you better watch out. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast, You right? eat pieces of shit for breakfast? <laughs> no. <laughs> what? No. Stay out of my way, or you'll pay. Listen to what I say. Maybe we should just go eat some hay. <laughs> Make things out of clay. What do you say? <laughs> I just may. <laughs> I'd like to see you try. Let's do it. I'm in on a golf course. Hey, hey, what is going on here, huh? Oh, I was just um looking for the other half of this bottle, and uh oh, there's some of it right. There's a there's some right there too. Why don't you just put it down? Yeah, I know. Just stay out of my way, or you'll pay. Listen to what I say. How about I just go eat some hay? I can make things out of clay and lay by the bay. I just may. What do you say? None of us have ever seen Happy Gilmore before, ever. No. So, Brett, who you got? Well, I'll be I'll be honest first. I I thought for sure Harrison was gonna pick the Icelandic coach for Mighty Ducks. He, Harrison said he didn't even make the top five. Okay, didn't. that's all right because good Brendan, Brendan would have quit then. Um, and I know everybody wants that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, especially I'm, after the jokes I'm about to make in my pick. Oh, these are good. They're, 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 they're bad. Not. They're bad. They're really. They're they're so bad. They're good. You know, like <laughs> no, I don't know. They're not no. even that. They're just kind of horrible. Terrible okay. things that yeah. I shouldn't say, but I'm gonna anyway. Anyway, my my pick is um, Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. Uh, not just because of I must break you. Yeah. One impression every week. There two it is. Two straight quality impressions. They're toe to toe. The Russian towers above the American. It's a true case of David and Goliath here. It's unbelievable, the, the, the condition of those men, but the... I must break you. You know, it's not just the the character that Drago plays, but, I mean, everything that he represents in that movie that Rocky is fighting Evil. against, the, the entire Soviet country and, you know, all the tensions in the world going on at that point. The Cold War, of course. And, uh... Well, obviously, he starts off that movie by killing Apollo Creed in the ring. So, it was an accident, I'm, right? <sighs> I guess we'll never know. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I don't think it mattered to him at that point in the Probably movie. Not. If he died, he died. It didn't matter to Apollo Creed whether it was an accident or not because he's dead. Yeah, it didn't matter to Apollo either. His son's still going strong. That's right. Quality, quality movie, by the way. Creed? Oh, yeah. Yes. Very good. Um, but uh, just... And, and then on top of it... You know, Harrison just mentioned the the aspect of needing to sort of feel a little bit at some point for that that villain, and uh, you know the point when Rocky is finally uh, beating him uh, in Russia, and uh, you know he's Drago is sitting on his stool in the corner, and you know he says he's not a man, he's a piece of iron, and you finally see the doubt creep in that. You know, he's not the best boxer in the world that he might finally be facing something despite all of his fancy workout equipment and steroids and everything else that he might not be able to win this fight. Uh, I, I think Rocky is now the most mentioned movie on this podcast, I mean, or at least the Rocky franchise. Well, there are like seven of eight, seven, eight but of them. But it'd be Mighty Ducks if I was here every week. True. 
That so. is. That is. Also, uh, Drago has the best actor name. I mean, Dolph Lundgren. You you can't beat that. You can't get any more German. But that name that. is besides the movie. That name is made in my household name and other random B B action movies throughout his career. Like so. C or D actually, but yeah, sure, uh, James, yeah, whatever. Your letter. pick. Uh, it's inter- interesting that you thought that the. Uh, the villain has to be a likable person at some point. I think that's a sign of a great villain. It Everybody is. loves it the is. Joker because yeah. or Darth you Vader. love the character. Oh, exactly. Everybody loves the Joker, especially Heath Ledger's performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, one, uh, the one that I'm going to pick is uh, Judge Smales from Caddyshack, who has absolutely no redeeming qualities about him whatsoever, but everybody still likes him. He's very hateable. Very hateable. And ma- master of the slow burn. Well... <laughs> Waiting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, Harrison with the impression. Yeah, my uh, my favorite line I think from that is uh, when he says, uh, "I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. <laughs> I didn't want to do it. Felt I owed it to them." <laughs> if you understand and abide by the rules of decent society, <laughs> Danny, Danny, there's a lot of uh, well badness in the world today. I see it in court every day. I've sentenced boys younger than you to the gas chamber. Didn't want to do it. Felt I owed it to them. Just so many good Golf villains. I think James and I have stumbled on something. That jerk on the golf course is the best villain. Mm-hmm. I am going to pull a Brett Summers here and go over some of my choices that didn't make the cut as my number one. Uh, a movie I bring up all the time, uh, Burt Gordon from The Hustler. Um, it, he uh, was played by George C. Scott, and he's just such a slime ball. It's really good. I had Shooter McGavin in there. I had Ivan Drago in there. I also had Johnny Lawrence, Sweet the Leg, from Karate Kid. No one's ever seen that? No one's ever seen Karate Kid? I know who you're oh, okay. talking I haven't so, yeah. seen the movie. I know yeah, who you're I know. talking uh, Johnny Lawrence, uh, certainly up there. Uh, I went with the Monstars from Space Jam as well, put them mm. on there. But here are the terrible jokes I'm about to make. Um, so... We have Gravity in We Are Marshall, Cancer in Brian's Song, ALS in Pride of the Yankees, which later went on to be named Lou Gehrig's Disease, and The Stool in Million Dollar Baby. So I'm expecting at least a couple of emails, maybe a phone call to our editor to tell me what an awful person I am. But uh, I'm actually going to go with Ben Stiller as White Goodman in Dodgeball. Goodman is, of course, like he's the fat-shaming owner of Globo Gym, and then he's the captain of the Purple Cobras. That's the dodgeball team that's trying to put Vince Vaughn uh, out of uh, business. Vince Vaughn, of course, plays uh, Peter uh, LaFleur uh, for Average Joe's Gym. Here at Globo Gym, we understand that ugliness and fatness are genetic disorders, much like baldness or necrophilia. And it's only your fault, if you don't hate yourself enough, to do something about it. And that's where we come in. <laughs> he's perfect for the role because he's playing a major tool. Uh, he's v- very dislikable uh, from just being a bully to being actually like really dumb. He's also very stupid. Um, Nobody makes me. He doesn't care if his blood. meanness doesn't make sense because which, which is actually his stupidity is kind of a redeeming quality. He's like Lenny in Of Mice of Men, except he's not you know accidentally killing puppies or or a woman. So, um, he also yeah. seemed like kind of a spinoff of Tony Perkins from Heavyweights, which I was a big fan of that villain. So a little dumber version of that, but you know, kind of the same probably character he dialed into. So, well, unfortunately, we're not going to see White Goodman again. They're not going to make a dodgeball sequel, as far as I know. And I think that's a good thing because we've seen how bad it can be when you try to make a sequel. Just look at Anchorman Two and The Hangover Two, and Ooh, those yeah. are both. Well, awful. plus he's too busy eating chicken on the couch. He yeah. has a Chuck Norris.
Captain Ch- Norris. So we can swear on this podcast? No, I'm going to bleep it out. Okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Just wanted to double check with you at an hour 29 into the taping. Here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yes, I know this is a very long episode, and that's what happens when you have four guys in here trying to give their takes. But we have come to the end of the episode, and we want to thank everybody for listening to this marathon episode of the Get Around. Uh, I am your host, Brendan Queeley. Again, with me this week was Brett Summers, James Cook, and Harrison Beebe. We thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I've given the handles a thousand times, so if you don't have those by now, I can't help you. Uh, But please make sure you tune in to uh, Saturday's show, The Get Around After Dark, and then check back again next Tuesday for the regular episode number 10. We're hitting double digits for The Get Around Podcast. Milestone. So thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your week.